Hello, hello. What's up, y'all? Thank you for tuning in to SoulCast. This is a podcast where we allow the soul to broadcast information, knowledge, wisdom, quotes, opinions, and so much more. Reminding everyone who is listening that this is only, and I mean only, for informative purposes. I only speak from my own experiences, okay? What is spoken on SoulCast are my truths, my beliefs, And it's all based off of what I've learned from others around me, what I've read in books, and what I experienced entirely on my own. SoulCast is here to express, shine light on, and challenge all things mental, spiritual, emotional, and physical. Everything is up for discussion over here, okay? (laughs) Feel free to email us for topics you'd like us to discuss. It'll be below in every episode details, okay? Now... Let's get into the good stuff. I'm Mila Nunez, your host. Let's talk about it. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. This is Mila, your host. Today, I have a very special guest with us, and her name is Phyllis. Hi, Phyllis. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you for having me here today. Of course. Thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? What's going on? How's your day? Having a good day, working hard, even though it's a weekend. (laughs) (laughs) The grind and and business doesn't stop. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, if you don't mind, go ahead and, you know, tell us your name, where you're from, how you identify in the world, what you do, all the good stuff. Hey y'all, quick disclaimer, I wanted to give you this trigger warning just in case someone does get triggered or feel emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically uncomfortable. We will be discussing topics such as grief, loss, death, trauma, sexual assault, domestic violence, anything that can be very traumatic to someone's emotional mental or spiritual well-being we just wanted to give you this quick little update just so that you can prepare yourself thank you for tuning in let's get into it if you don't mind go ahead and you know tell us your name where you're from how you identify in the world what you do all the good stuff yeah my name is phyllis levitt and i grew up in New Jersey, but I live in New Mexico right now and have lived in New Mexico for quite a long time. And I have been a psychotherapist for over 30 years, just very recently retired from my practice. I'm also an author. And um, I wrote two books called A Light in the Darkness and Into the Fire that were about my own healing journey and kind of getting in touch with Um, a very essential, connected part of myself that really gave me the guidance to help me heal, as well as doing a lot of psychotherapy myself. Um, And then I am now working on a new book called, well, I finished a new book called America in Therapy. It's being published by Morgan James Publishers. And it's really about bringing the healing principles of therapy to our country because I see that there's so much going on in our country that mirrors very dysfunctional and abusive family dynamics. And I wanted to put that lens on what's happening here. And of course, it's really happening all over the world in many different places. So to really look at our country through that lens of um, what are dysfunctional and abusive family dynamics, what are healthy family dynamics, and how we could apply some of the healing principles of the best psychotherapy to our country. So that's what I'm about today. Yes. And I was going to ask what brings you on, but obviously you want to shed light and share more information on um, all of this. So let's, let's go into you. What's your story? What was your upbringing like? Yeah. My story is like many people's story. I think Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I, there was some really significant abuse in my childhood that I totally buried Mm -hmm. and had no memory of it all. And I think it happened very Uh, at least the first incidents happened very, very early in my life where I wouldn't have necessarily any memory. Hmm. Um, But 
the effect of that, and I, I just really want to say this because as a therapist and as someone who has made this journey, you know, myself, I, I think we can't underestimate how painful it is to be hurt by other human beings and the lastingness mm-hmm. of that pain if we don't get help, if we don't get a chance to remember in a safe place and go on some kind of a healing journey with safe people, that the effects are really profound. and. Mm-hmm. They were profound in my life. I, I think I was fortunate, you know. I, I think I could have been somebody who could have been an addict. I could have been lots of things. I Fortunately, my body didn't like drugs mm-hmm. or alcohol. So, <laughs> That's so, great. Um, so I, and I was lucky that way because mm-hmm. I think I could have totally easily gone in that direction mm-hmm. because of the level of pain that I carried that I didn't understand and really just felt like there was something wrong with me mm-hmm. um, and that I was trying to hide. So, you know, long story short, um, you know, I did the best I could. I, I was a, a child of the 60s. I never was really a hippie or into any of the drugs, as I said, because mm-hmm. I didn't want that. But I really got into the whole spirituality of the 60s, and that was wonderful in certain mm-hmm. ways, but it didn't heal me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up in therapy. Um, and so... You know, I did a lot of therapy, and it really changed my life to start to understand and start to remember what had really put this sort of dark shadow on my life, and that it wasn't a flaw in myself. It was something that happened to me that conditioned me in a way that was really unfortunate. And then I realized there's millions of people like me out there, like, who have no access to help, who are hurt in their homes, who are hurt in their communities, who are hurt by their governments, who are stuck in wars and poverty and discrimination and, you know, all kinds of persecution who have no access to any kind of help or rescue. And it opened my heart to feeling like we live in a world of people that many of whom are suffering massive PTSD mm-hmm. and are a mystery to themselves just the way I was. Right. Um, and maybe out of control with some of their reactions the way that I was. Mm-hmm. And. And then, and then I began to see what I said in the beginning, that, um, you know, many of the dynamics in, in communities and countries are very much like the dynamics of dysfunctional and abusive families. And I really wanted to make a contribution on that level, and that's why I wrote my, my recent book. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Man, I can totally relate. Everything that you said kind of really just struck a chord because, yes, um, you start to realize that there are people out there who've experience again maybe not the same but very similar and traumatic Mm -hmm. um stress that they don't know how to shift and move within the body let alone our minds and it in our in our core you know so totally I completely resonate with you when you say that because I too have experienced trauma and piggybacking off what you said where like there's nothing actually wrong with me something happened to me and the way that I moved was based off of that however that can no longer have control of, over me, right? Like I will not let that um, be the factor as to why I can't or I won't, you know? Um, right. So yes, I, I completely, I hear you. I had a conversation as well with someone in another interview where we were talking about um, victimizing ourselves a lot more than we need to, right? Um, right. And so allowing ourselves to kind of just fall back and be like, this had happened to me and it did. However, this is what I'll do now. Or this doesn't have to be the the defining reason of why I can't be happy or I don't get love or why I can't love myself, you know? So right. I, I completely agree with you. Um Yes. Yeah, so you said that you um, you are in psychotherapy. Where did you go for schooling? How does your um, education background look? Yeah, I went to, um, well, I, I got, had an undergraduate degree um, mm. right out of um, high school. And that was oh. just in liberal arts. And then I had children and, you know, got married and had children. And I really wanted to go back to school. And I went to Antioch University mm-hmm. and I got a master's degree in psychology and counseling when my children were very little. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just to piggyback off of that a little bit to say, you know, I totally agree with you that the goal is that what happened to us doesn't define who we are. It mm-hmm. actually isn't who we are. Mm-hmm. It's something that happened to us. And it's sort of a 
a layer that got laid over who we are. And the best healing work sort of peels that layer off or layers mm-hmm. and reveals to us and makes accessible to us our essential self, you know, our goodness, our innocence, our gifts and our strengths. And, and I think for the most part, we need safe other people to help us do that. There are mm. certainly miraculous people who do it on their own, but I think the vast majority of people really need a safe person to express their pain with and to reprocess their pain with. And that's why I became a therapist. And, and I'm not saying that therapy is the only way to do it because one of the goals of my book is that we, we kind of get that we need to be that those safe people for each other. Right. I completely agree. And I do not want to say therapy is the one all be all. However, on my side, um, I just, I have a psychiatrist that I've been seeing in February would be two years now. And the work that we have been doing and the results of my thought process and just the way I'm able to handle conflict now really has helped me. And they allow you psychiatrists therapists, counseling, mentors, life coaches, shamans, all they do is they, they open up their toolbox, right? And they pull out the necessary tools that you'll need to be able to handle and build a, a structure or, um, a way to deal and handle stress, better anxiety. So I do believe that therapy, if when in doubt is a great way to go. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And I think that um, one of the basic underlying reasons why that's so is because for the vast majority of people, what they suffer is something that happened to them with unsafe human beings, Mm -hmm. people who either hurt them or ignored them or didn't meet their basic, you know, fundamental human needs in some way or violated them or whatever. And that, because we're hurt by others, we need to heal with others. It's not a solo journey. You right. know, our whole life is based on relationship, right? In mm-hmm. some way, relationship with our family, with our friends, with our employers, with our state, with our government, with the world. Right. Um, so I think that, that, that healing relationship is critical for most people. And like I said, there are some miraculous people who just rise out of the ashes on their own or they forge an amazing relationship with nature or with animals or with art and creativity and all of those things are valuable and helpful in the process but I think bottom line is we need each other mm-hmm. yes I I absolutely agree with that um, I, I love that you say that because um, a lot of the times people are thought, you know for a long time people thought if you went to you know you talk to a therapist or a psychiatrist that you're cuckoo or like you're crazy and stuff like this and I love that now in today's society like we are heightening it and putting more focus on making sure that people have mental health um, resources and access to it so with that like what are your views on the mental health in today's society now? Well, you know, I have lots of views, and the big overarching picture that I would say is that as a society, and I'll just talk about America, but mm-hmm. I think we both know that a lot of what I'm going to say applies to many different countries and, and groups of people all over the world, mm-hmm. but as a society, our mental health is suffering mm-hmm. because we, first of all, I know from my own experience and from being a therapist with hundreds of people over the years that abuse and neglect is rampant in the American family. Mm-hmm. People, are, people are stretched to the limit. They're pressured. They, they have to work multiple jobs. They're not available for their children. Often, this isn't mm-hmm. everyone, but often not available for their children, bringing their stress home, not having adequate role models of healthy family dynamics in their own lives. So intergenerationally, they're passing on neglectful or abusive or dysfunctional dynamics and it's really much more widespread than I think we would like to believe Mm -hmm. Um, because we're kind of taught to put on a good face and look like we have it together and pretend like we're independent and we don't need anybody when actually we really do and many many people are suffering and just kind of white knuckling it through life Um, 
So I feel like the mental health crisis is very big in our country, and I think one of the one of the pieces of evidence of that, which you know, I'm certainly not alone in saying this, is that we have many people in positions of power who are abusive, who mm-hmm. are neglectful of the population, who are discriminatory, who withhold resources, who blame and criticize people rather than looking at the causes of the dysfunction that we have as a society. And that's what the best psychotherapy does. It doesn't blame people. It looks for the root causes and tries to heal them. Um, So I think our mental health is really our biggest problem in Mm -hmm. in this country. I think it's behind the mass shootings. I think it's behind the gap in, you know, the 1% and the dwindling middle class and the the high level of poverty in in our country. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so... I think it because because this is the way I say it that I think is very easy for people to understand. In a family, if you had two parents who only fed one child and didn't feed the other, if they only took one child to the doctor when they were injured but they didn't help the other child get well, if they hated one child because of the color of their skin was darker and they liked the child with the lighter skin, we would say this was a very dysfunctional, abusive, neglectful family that was in desperate need of help mm-hmm. because those children were going to suffer, right? Yeah. All of them were going to suffer. <laughs> right. And, and yet as a country, and I call us the family of America, mm. as a country, we allow that kind of behavior. We allow certain people to um, be fed and others not. We allow pe- certain people to have the resources that they need to be well or be educated or to get good housing, and we don't care about that for others. And so as a, as a family, we are not healthy in this country. And that has a lot to do with the people who are in charge and has a lot to do with the grassroots, you know, mental health of the average family, but not from a point of view of blame. And that's the whole reason why I think psychotherapy and psychology have so much to offer because psychology and psychotherapy are not interested in blame. Mm. It's interested in healing. It's interested in having people sit down at the table and talk and understand each other and learn how to control their most aggressive or abusive impulses and get to the root of why they would behave that way in the first place so that they can have more satisfying human relations. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? That makes a perfect sense. Being someone who, again, I don't have a therapist where I just talk about my feelings, right? I have a psychiatrist who is very invested in neuroscience and getting the understanding mm-hmm. root as to why I think the way I do right. and understanding, oh, I can actually shift the language and I don't have to see it and view it that way. I don't have to blame that person who create who made me a victim. I can just shift it and move it and just say, hey, this happened to me, it's no longer happening to me. And now I can release and let go of that tension, right? That we hold on to that hatred that we may have created in our bodies, you know? So I I 100% think that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, just to go off of one thing that you just said, it's no longer Mm -hmm. happening to you and it's no longer happening to me, but it is happening to thousands and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. As participants in the family of America, I believe, and I say this not with blame, but with mm-hmm. like hopefully with inspiration, that right. we all have a responsibility to change the dynamics of the family of America. Does mm-hmm. that mean I can stop what's happening in another state when somebody goes into a store and shoots people? No. no. But I can be a safer person in my own life. I can be more loving and more, more kind in my own life. I can take more responsibility in my own life and I can have the voice that I have, like you have the voice that you have, which is a contribution, right? Right. 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 I completely agree with that. Um, I love that you, you take off the, the focus of like, yes, that's not happening to us anymore, but there are people out there that it's currently happening to. So how do we, continue to be there and support the masses, right? Um, right? Let's talk about that. I did see some key points with you where you're talking about having a new take on victims and perpetrators, like, you know, the things that we must know. What, what do you mean by that? Oh, absolutely. That's such a, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's such a, 
important part of what I wrote in my book, America in Therapy. It's, you know, one of many important parts, but, but let me say a little bit about that because I think we have grown up, I have anyway, and I think we still live in a paradigm of just right and wrong, good and bad. There are good mm. people and there are bad people. Right. And what we know as psychotherapists is no one is born a murderer. No one is right. born a rapist. No one is born someone who exploits, you know, the elderly or robs a bank. We're not born that way. We have certain conditioning that will, you know, and we also are born with a nature, you know, there's right. nature and nurture. But mm-hmm. even a person who's born, let's just say, with a more aggressive nature can be taught to control themselves, can right. be taught to re- refrain from their worst impulses. And we all have some impulses that aren't so good if we're really honest, right? A hundred percent. Right. I mean, we're all in that category more or less. <laughs> so there, there are no born bad people. We're mm-hmm. all born just innocent little babies. And it's our conditioning that sets people up for the worst behaviors that we see in society, even for the worst leadership that we see in society. Um, mm-hmm. And so... What I, what, what, what I think the new paradigm is, is not that there's good and evil people. There's all good people. And some of us have been conditioned to be highly dysfunctional and destructive and abusive and even murderous. Mm. But those people are victims just as much as the person who's victimized, let's say they're physically assaulted or they're raped or they're starved or whatever happens to them. And they become more passive and more, mm. more withdrawn and maybe more of a people pleaser or more of a workaholic. And that's the way that they've adapted to the abuse and neglect. Some people adapt to abuse and neglect by, be, I, we call this in the world of psychology, identifying with the aggressor. They become like the abuser because mm. their own vulnerability is so frightening to them that the only way that they can feel safe is to feel over-empowered like the aggressor was. So they have to be the top dog. But they're both victims. Mm. The person who's helpless and the person who identifies with the aggressor are both victims. And we don't get that in our society. And that's one of the reasons why we have the horrible criminal justice system that we have because it's not invested in rehabilitation. It's not invested in getting to the root cause of why somebody stole that money from the store or beat their child or did whatever they did. It's invested in making them a bad person that we can lock up and then exploit. And Mm. that is perpetuating the abuse dynamic. Um, One of the things I read when I was writing my book was, that and I don't remember the number at the moment, but a very high percentage, more than 50% of incarcerated people today have unhealed child abuse. Mm. And so they're just being abused again by the system. And it's tragic. Yeah. Wow, sorry. That that hit home a lot because I want to go back for a second where you talked about how those victims become you know, they, they create this persona of being their abuser, right? They have those right. personalities and the behaviors and the traits. And I want to personalize for a second with that, because for me, I noticed that when I, I went through um, sexual abuse, sexual trauma when I was younger. And yeah. for me, I think how it showed up in my relationships, my romantic ones, I would say was, being the one who took care of everything, right? The one who worked the most. You don't have to worry about anything. It's okay. I'll pay for it. Don't worry. Right. You know, like, and, I, and when you were talking and speaking on it, I was like, whoa, yeah. Like, I I can see where it, it did show up in, in moments where I needed to have that sense of control, right? Right. And having that power to make myself feel higher and better and, about myself and what I've went through because I'm still carrying and harboring the trauma that has happened to me when I was younger. Um, So yeah, I completely can relate and agree with what you have just stated and going to the, the justice system, right? Like I feel that if we were given 
a, a psychiatrist, a, a therapist, or someone who was on the team to be able to help make these decisions before we send someone right. to, you know, to really be in a cage is like, let's see how we can first better this person before we make this person a criminal for a mistake or something that was necessary for them to make. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, again, piggybacking off of that, then the bigger question is, what do we need to do in our society so that we're not producing people who are rapists Mm -hmm. and murderers? Because it's on us, you know? Um, And I don't mean that, again, in the sense of blame. We are neglecting our our fellow human beings. There are children living in poverty. There are children living with a drug-addictive parents. So instead of punishing the parents, help the parents. Mm -hmm. Let's put our resources, our tax dollars, into good child care, Mm. raising the minimum wage, providing better housing for people, Um, you know, all the things that would help families be more attentive and more loving to their children and get some of the things that they didn't get themselves. Mm. Because that's how, that's how we produce a healthy society. Right. We invest in our families. We invest mm. in people. We don't invest in prisons. We don't invest in weapons of mass destruction that are designed to kill millions of people at a time or hundreds of thousands or whatever they are. I mean, these are the things, like if we had a family investing in AK-47s and they weren't feeding their children but they were buying guns, we'd say they were disturbed. Mm-hmm. But that's right. what we're doing as a country. Mm. And I, I love that you use that analogy because it's very true. We we romanticize certain things and punish others when realistically they're, this, they're pretty much the same thing. You know, like that it's... I love that you said that because you're saying that if we actually created a safe and healthy, loving and warming environment for our human population, we wouldn't have this much suffering on society. We wouldn't need to have war. Exactly. We wouldn't need to have police brutality. We wouldn't need to have more prisons than any other country in the world, or I don't know if that's the right statistic but it's really high um you know we wouldn't need these things it's it's really like i that's why i feel like the lens of looking at our country and our politics and our policies through the lens of family systems is the way to go it's the most healing lens to take because when you heal families you heal individuals when Mm. you heal a community you heal the individuals in that community when you heal the individuals you heal the community Mm. they go together right hand in hand I completely agree with that I was going to say I'm going to ask you a question actually so when it comes to the government and the higher the higher ups of like in positions that have the power to change things do you think there's a personal benefit there do you feel like there's a reason why we don't have what we need in society, you know, like, what are your thoughts on the whole, the system? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of angles to take on that question. Mm -hmm. So I'll say one. And then, you know, if you think of others, or if I think of another, I'll say it. But Mm -hmm. I think, I think we are, we're addicts as Mm -hmm. a society. We're addicted to money. We're addicted Mm -hmm. to wealth. We're addicted to control. We're addicted to power. And it's almost like when people get caught in that addictive cycle, they can't get out. It's never enough. It's never enough money. It's never enough sex. It's never enough power. It's never enough control. It's never enough Mm. acquisition of land or resources or whatever it is. And, um, And how do we get that way? Again, I think it comes back to our family dynamics because healthy families don't produce people that are just totally addicted. They don't. And they address it in a healthy way if they have an addict in their midst. Like, not like you're a horrible person and you should be shamed and blamed, but you need help. Mm -hmm. And we don't have that in our society for, so so people who become, let's just say, I'll say it this way, and and there's many ways to say what I'm saying, so don't, Mm -hmm. nothing I say is like the absolute truth. Right. Um, 
But if you have someone who comes out of an abusive home and they've identified with the aggressor and they become the bully on the playground and then they enroll other disempowered children to support them on the playground and or they, they join a gang because that's how they feel, feel powerful. That's how they mm-hmm. get a sense of belonging. And then they run for office. They take those dynamics with them. And they don't have a feeling for the pain they inflict on other people because they're just surviving in their own, you know, distorted way by being in complete control. Mm. Now, that's a stretch. But Mm -hmm. I think psychologically it has truth in it that we have to understand that people who misuse power and are addicted to it and keep hurting other people with the power that they have are disturbed individuals Mm. that need help, that need to be stopped. And, you know, obviously one of the first ways that you help an individual like that is you stop them. You know, if a kid is carrying a gun, you take the gun away. Right. (laughs) You get them help. You don't let you get them help while they're holding the gun. Right. (laughs) I have a question then. Um, So when talking about, you know, growing up in a dysfunctional family or facing trauma or the root causes of things, I want to go even deeper for a second about like inheriting traits by parents. Like, do you believe that that is something that can also be passed down for like, you know, they used to say addiction and like, all these behaviors like is do you what's your take on that view yeah yeah and I'm not a scientist so Mm -hmm. you know but I will tell you this that I do think that there there are inherited biochemical tendencies there Mm. are inherited traits um and I think you know I think it's been shown that for instance the diagnosis of bipolar can be inherited that it can run in families. And, and there's a, definitely a biochemical component to that diagnosis. Um, so, yes, I think that there are tendencies that are, that are passed down, but there's, it's, hard, it's sometimes hard to distinguish what might be technically inherited and what is so profoundly role modeled mm-hmm. that the child role models themselves on that behavior. Right. If they learned in their family that you cope with stress by drinking, does it mean they're biochemically prone to drinking or does it mean that they just learned how to do that from the addict in their family? Mm-hmm. You know? right. So I think there's a big overlap. And right. I, think, I think what we need to know, I think what we need to have, number one, is compassion. Mm-hmm. That everyone, and this is hard for a lot of us to, it's hard for me when I hear of like a mass shooting and children got killed in their classroom. It's hard for me to have that compassion that the shooter is a terribly in pain person, Mm. but they are because no one does that kind of thing. If they're in touch with their own humanity, they feel loved and they feel like they belong and they feel like they're valued and they've learned healthy boundaries and they've learned peaceful conflict resolution skills. They don't go and shoot up a school. Mm -hmm. So, and so often people who commit these kinds of atrocious crimes are suicidal and, and they end up killing themselves or letting themselves be killed by the police because they really want to be taken out. That Mm -hmm. comes from pain. Mm -hmm. So we have to know that. um, And I guess the bottom line of what I would say is yes, there are people who have brain anomalies who have messed up biochemistry and we may not know how to treat all those people. And there may be some of those people that we need to incarcerate because we don't know how to help them and they're not safe in our society. But I don't think that's the vast majority of people. I don't. Mm -hmm. I think the vast majority of people can be helped if we have that lens on what's wrong with them and we want to offer that help. There's a, I saw a very, a couple of very powerful documentaries on incarcerated men one of them was called the Dhamma Brothers, and the other one, I'm not sure what the title was, but I think it was something like the masks we live in or the masks be, that we live behind or something like that. And they were interviews with men who had committed murders, and many of them were incarcerated for life with no parole. And they talked about their childhoods. Mm. And I'm telling you, it just was heartbreaking. 
You know, one mm -hmm. man saw his father murder his mother. One man was abandoned in a house out in the woods by his mother and nobody ever came back. And he somehow found his way into town and went into foster care. You know, um, wow. at atrocious stories of mistreatment and abandonment and abuse and neglect um, that could be helped. Yeah. They weren't bad people. They were innocent little children who had horrible, traumatic lives with no help. Oh. Yes. I want to take a moment for that just because um, to be able to have someone who is very passionate and loving and very serious about these topics at hand, it, it warms my heart, you know, yeah. and it also, it, it touches me too, because it's, it's like, I, I, not to turn it on me for a second, but it feels so good to know that there are other people who care that right. deeply, you know, that, that like it pains them and it hurts them to know that, this person went through that and they're, they're having to suffer through this now because no one told them that they are worthy and they are loved and they are okay. That's right. You That's know, totally so. Right. I think the greatest gift we can give another person is to see them as a valuable, lovable, worthwhile human being. Mm -hmm. To really see another person. Um, because so many of of the most injured among us never got that. They don't yeah. have that kind of mirroring where someone, they walk into the room and someone lights up because they're so delighted to see them. Mm. There are <laughs> thousands and millions of people who don't have that today. Mm. I've worked with people who never heard anyone say, I love you mm. ever or see them for, uh, and I'll, I'll quote this because I, I love this quote. There's a man named Brian Stevenson, and I believe his, his, he's, he's very well known for his work with getting people who are wrongfully incarcerated out of jail, mm -hmm. people who have been set up or, you know, just, you know, they picked up somebody on the street and they didn't care whether they were innocent or, or guilty. Mm -hmm. um, and so his work is helping people who are innocent get out of jail. But he made this statement that I will never forget because he says this to people all the time, and whether you're incarcerated or not for something you actually did. He said, no one is the worst thing they've ever done. Mm. And that's really true. And it's really true. There is an innocent, lovable, valuable human being inside every one of us that didn't get what it needed often. Mm. And so to see another human being, and it's, if you've had that experience, I remember very distinctly the first time I actually felt seen by another human being, and I was in my early 20s. And, um, and it was an experience like no other. And it, it, was, it was part of my healing. It wasn't mm -hmm. the whole thing, but that's what a good therapist does. Right. That's what a good friend does. That's what a good parent does. It sees the inherent beauty in, another, in their child, their friend, their partner, in another human being. And it mm. lights that part of us up. And when it gets lit up, that part wants to grow. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, I love that. Um, yes, I honestly, there are times where I tend to, fall into my past tendencies of people pleasing. <laughs> well, we I, all do. Right. <laughs> we all do. And so I have a question. So when it comes to, you know, seeing that individual as a person, accepting them for who they are in this moment and still giving yourself to them, what happens when you are facing those who like to manipulate and use that? Right. You know, well, what are some skills right. that we need? No, I think that's a really good question because love doesn't always, love and seeing other people doesn't always look like soft sweetness. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it looks like compassion and empathy and, you know, just sharing and communing and hugging and whatever. But sometimes being loving is being a truth teller. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not okay with me. What you're doing is not okay. You mm -hmm. cannot speak to me that way. Um, 
But there's a difference between standing for the truth of a healthy relationship with someone mm -hmm. and hating them mm. or acting out on them and feeling entitled to assault them verbally or otherwise because you don't like how they're being. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference. And in a healthy society, we, we still have to restrain people who are out of bounds. Mm -hmm. But we can still do it with love. Right. We can still do it with knowing that there's, and hoping that there's someone reachable inside them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, telling to, I mean, I, I call that love with a sword. You know, love with <laughs> a sword cut, cuts through bullshit, cuts mm -hmm. through the illusion that you get to act out. You know, right. cuts through bad behavior, but it doesn't hurt. It's mm. still love. It's still love. And if you've ever had that experience, um, and I'll share one. I, I was, I don't remember what the incident was, unfortunately. I did something that offended uh, a man that I was working with way back in the day when I first had graduated from graduate school. I don't, I don't know what I did. Right? I memory <laughs> too far away. Right. Um, but whatever I did, it hurt his feelings or it upset him or it bothered him. And he sat down with me and he said, can I talk to you? And I said, yes. And, and I really, we were friends. Mm -hmm. and, and he told me whatever it was that I had done that disturbed him. But you know what? I still felt like he really cared for me. And mm -hmm. I still felt like he wanted to preserve our friendship. Um, he just wanted to clear the air. And I had never had an experience like that with another human being until that day. Wow. And it gave me such a picture of how we could be with each other. He was totally honest with me. He didn't mince his words. He mm -hmm. told me exactly what I did that bothered him. And I could say, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, I could fully say, I'm sorry. Um, and, and it was much easier for me to say, I'm sorry, because he didn't attack me. Mm. He didn't shame me. He didn't blame me. He didn't hate me. He didn't cut off our friendship. He actually wanted our friendship to be better and our working relationship to be better. And this is a whole new model of conflict resolution that we don't have see modeled in our government at all with people going at each other's throats. Yeah. And this is what our young people see as what you do when you don't like what somebody else says or you're hurt by them or you disagree. And mm. this is a terrible model for right. mental health. I I completely agree with that. Um, just listening to you and kind of going back in times where in moments where I didn't have those conversations with someone, right? And what it led to, we can right. always solve problems. We can always find a solution if we allow ourselves to, um, and not take offense, right? And not not personalize certain things. All of us are guilty of that, of course. <laughs> um, or even if we do, even if we take offense, because we're human, even mm. if our feelings are hurt, even if we're angry, even if we want to say something mean, we learn how to restrain that because mm. our goal is to reconnect and heal the relationship, not to one up. Right. And that's a huge paradigm shift that I feel like our country really needs to go through that you know, I would love to see there be trained facilitators in Congress having people sit down and listen to each other with respect and restrain their most violent verbal impulses and actually listen the way they want to be heard because we all want to be heard, but we don't know how to listen. <laughs> that is absolutely right. So what are some ways that you can give the audience and our listeners kind of Ways to learn how to listen, do active listening, you know, give us some skills and some, at least some tools so people can walk away with today. Yeah. I mean, and these are things you probably want to do, you know, practice mm -hmm. and have somebody guide you with, but I'll name them because I talk about them also in my book about what I would like to see us learn as individuals and what I would like to see us role model mm -hmm. um, in positions of great power and influence. And, you know, the first one we just talked about, and that's restraint. Come to the table, sit down, and restrain your most reactive impulses. And I've had people in my office who have gotten up and walked out because they're so angry at their partner and they can't restrain it, you know? Mm. And, I, and I say to them, come back when you're ready to listen. Because mm. when, if you're just going to act out, nothing is going to happen here different from what brought you here, which is you were fighting. 
Right? Right. So restraint is enormous. Um, we, we cannot heal if we feel threatened by other people or we feel assaulted by other people because mm-hmm. we're just going to do whatever we do to feel safe, which mm-hmm. is some of our defenses, right? Right. So restraint is number one. Learn to tolerate distress tolerance. Learn to tolerate the distress of when you're angry at someone you're, or you feel hurt by someone that you just don't act out. You can still have the feeling. Mm-hmm. Just don't project it as violence toward the other person. The second thing is look at myself, you know, um, and my friend that day that I just shared that experience with made it easy for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel defensive because I didn't feel attacked. So I could look at whatever it was I had done and say, yeah, I'm sorry. I did do that. Maybe I didn't mean to. Maybe I didn't know I did it. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Maybe I did. But I could say I'm sorry because I could, I could reflect on myself and see his point of view, okay? Mm-hmm. Because we all, we usually, unless someone comes up and just assaults you and, and right. you didn't do anything, most of us in our most troubled intimate relations have some part that we play that we could learn to play differently. And I don't mean that as blame. Mm-hmm. I mean that we could learn to do it differently, we could learn right. to listen better, right? Right. <laughs> um, or whatever it is. So reflection on ourselves is key. I had a, a teacher when I was in graduate school in a, in a class on couples therapy, and he said, and I'll never, you know, you know, you hear these things and you never forget this one sentence, mm-hmm. right? He said, the couples who do the best are those in which each person is really willing to reflect on their own behavior and take responsibility for themselves and make changes themselves because mm. most people come to therapy wanting the therapist to fix their partner. Mm. They want to prove their partner wrong. And of course, that's the heart of most fights that people have. You're wrong and I'm right. And I'm going to beat you until you know that you're right. wrong. Right. So reflection on myself, taking responsibility. Maybe I could soften my tone of voice. Maybe I could have used I statements instead of you statements. And I statements are a big one mm-hmm. because I statements are much less blaming than you statements. You know, you did this, you did that. People get defensive when they hear that. Right. Um, and there's a place for you, you know, mm-hmm. but it's more like I'm upset with you because you didn't call me when you said you would is very right. different than you never call me when you say you will you right. know, or you're a bad person because you did blah, blah. So taking the blame out of how we communicate is a big one. And that's mm-hmm. part of taking responsibility. I, I become responsible for how I communicate with you. You know, so often it's not even the words we say. It's our tone of voice. Mm-hmm. It's the facial expression. It's our body posture. If I say, I hear you, but I'm looking up at the ceiling and I'm rolling my eyes, how heard is the other person? Mm-hmm. They're not going to feel hurt. They're going to feel right. just, you know, diminished. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next one is, um, so it's, it's restraint, reflection, taking responsibility. And I, ca- I call the, the fourth one rehabilitation. But w- really what I mean is rehabilitating ourselves. It's like, okay, so I see this about myself. I want to take responsibility for the fact that I yelled at you when I was mad. Right. And so I have to change my behavior. I have to rehabilitate myself and talk in a different tone of voice. Mm-hmm. So it's making amends. I'm sorry I yelled at you. I'm going to really try not to raise my voice when I'm upset. I'm going to tell you that I'm upset. I'm going to tell you why I'm upset, but I'm not going to scream at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next one is that we make some kind of, we call this reconciliation. We make some kind of agreement. I will agree to do this differently, and I'm asking you to do this differently. We make some kind of agreement where we can, whether it's a compromise or, and you, you know, we, we know all these things from our own relationships when they work. And that is like, if I've really heard you deeply, because you want to be heard just like I do. Right. You, think, you think you're right. I think I'm right. You know, instead of being in a tug of war, could I actually hear your point of view the way I want you to hear mine. I'm telling you, this is the most difficult thing for human beings. <laughs> I, I really think it's really hard. I'm so, I'm, I, I, I will say, I'm so invested in being right with my husband. It's really hard for me <laughs> to hear his point of view. But, but we love each other. 
and we want to reconnect. And so we just keep stretching to do that. Or we let it go. We just let it go and we come back to loving each other. Because, you know, half of the time our arguments are over something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Oh, so, and I could be so right about it forever. Right. Or, or I could hear him and he could hear me and we could come back to a place of love. And that's the last one, that the goal of, you know, reparative communication, reparative relationship is that we reconnect. We come back to love, which is what we all want. And it's what makes us feel safe. It's what makes us feel cared for. It's what makes us feel that we belong. So those are the elements. And, you know, this, this is, these are sort of the t- tip of the iceberg. Right. There are things that are much deeper that are underneath um, that I really try to go into in what I talk about in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're a little harder to, to probably go into in the time that we have together. Yes. Um, but these are good skills to practice. I, I 100% agree. I, I did have a question that popped up when you were talking about um, rehabilitation and, re, you know, re, uh, rehabilitating ourselves, right? Um, right? For those who are listening who are in relationships or that are probably more unhealthy and more on the toxic side, what is the, what is the like limit or the line of where you're taking on too much responsibility? Yeah. Well, I think what one of the dances that we do in relationship, because for many people, many people who stay in relationships that aren't working well for them, or that border on being really dysfunctional or abusive in some way, whether Mm -hmm. it's emotional or verbal or whatever, um, are really afraid to leave. Mm -hmm. And so they feel stuck because they want to work it out. They hope it'll work out, but it's not working out. And so part of the problem is their own inability to to draw a line and say, this has to stop or I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, you, that's, you don't always say that a, a person has to decide if they're at that place for right. themselves. I, I, I was married once before my present husband and there were behaviors and things that my husband did that were really intolerable to me. I'm speaking mm-hmm. about myself. Mm-hmm. I was afraid to leave. I had three little children. I didn't know how I was going to make it on my own, mm-hmm. but I knew the relationship was unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And I did everything that I knew how to do at the time. You know, I, I didn't have some of the skills I have now. I'm a lot older, mm-hmm. a lot more experienced. I did the best I could. Mm-hmm. I got us to therapy. It didn't help. It mm-hmm. didn't change. And so at a certain point, I, I reached a point, and this is very individual for each person. There's nobody, mm-hmm. nobody can tell you where this is, where trying was no longer healthy. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, because really what I was doing was prolonging the agony of leaving because mm. there was no evidence that anything was going to change significantly, even with the help that we got. Mm. Um, and part of it was me. Right. Know, I'm not saying that it was all my ex-husband. Part of it was me. I was in the category of people who were more passive mm-hmm. and more easily controlled, and he was dominating. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had to find my strengths. How I found my strength was at some point to say, this, this, is, this is really unhealthy for me. Mm-hmm. And I left. Um, but let me, let me tie this in because I think it's really important. Of course, of course. I was not able to do that until I started working on my own abuse. Mm. It was my own healing that enabled me to have the power to leave. And I remember the moment. I remember the moment. I remembered... I started to remember what happened to me, the abuse that I had as a child, and something rose up in me and said, I will never be abused again, and I was able to leave. But until that moment, until I had done that work, until I had found the safety to process what had happened to me, I was stuck in the victim position. Mm. And so I just cannot, I cannot say it loudly enough, if you're afraid to leave, if you're, if you can't leave, if you... If you can't, and you can't find the means to healing or you don't have a partner who's willing, get your own help. Right. It's not a shameful thing if you are 
stuck in a relationship that feels unhealthy or toxic for you. You're stuck there for a reason that's not your fault, and you deserve help. Oh, do you guys hear this? So what I want to add on to that is that the the key points that she just gave us is is important what I'm, with what I'm about to say. This also pertains to ourselves, right? Having the restraint and um, fighting the impulses and the reactions when we're dealing with the healing of ourselves, right? Um, right. Looking at ourselves and seeing our actions and taking responsibility for what we do, how we choose to view a situation, how we choose to love our, ourselves or abuse ourselves, right? Right, right? Take responsibility and then remember to take out blame for That's ourselves, right. right? Like this also doesn't just replace, you know, pertain to the relationship with others, but it also pertains to the relationship to yourself. Right. And totally. And you know what? I just want to say these things, you know, sort of slide off my tongue so easily because I'm so familiar with them and I've worked with these principles for so many years. Mm-hmm. But I really want to stress that they're hard to embody. Mm. It, it takes great strength. It yeah. takes a lot of practice. And none of us are perfect at it. You know, mm-hmm. it's two steps forward, one step back. Oh, you know, we, yes. we, do it, we do it great in one interaction. And the next interaction, we find ourselves totally triggered. And we're back where we were when we were 10 or whatever. <laughs> and you, you know, know that's what? funny because sometimes <laughs> I will laugh at myself. I was like, you know what, Mila? Like... You know you could have restrained yourself and didn't have to respond or say that. You know you didn't right, have to. Right. So it right. takes time, right? Years. Mm-hmm. It took me years to like get to where I'm at now. And I know that's gonna take years to, you know, get where I'm gonna be in the future. But right now, sometimes like I find it funny because I'll tell people, man, old Mila, mm she would have said something or she would have went right. off or she would have been really reactive. Right. But right. now <laughs> I know better. Or sometimes we don't. <laughs> and it's okay. Or sometimes we don't. That's right. It's okay. And especially if we have the awareness to like not then hate ourselves because mm-hmm. we didn't do it right in that moment. Right. But like, okay, I see it. And now I have the opportunity to do it differently. I mean, mm-hmm. my husband and I do that with each other all the time now, <laughs> you know, you know, we'll, we'll have a little, you know, irritation in our voice and we'll be really quick to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to come off as irritated. I'm stressed about blah, blah, or whatever. And then we're right back there together, you know, mm. um, because we're just human. Nobody is going to be like a saint. And right. I, don't think, I don't think that's the goal. I think the goal is that we don't do too much damage when we're triggered mm-hmm. and that we come back faster and faster and faster. Yes, 100%. And I wanted to ask, okay, so what do we tell those who want to justify? Well, you know, they that stand very firm in their belief that they should be upset and it should be the end all be all. What do we say to those people who who choose to be like, no, like, no, I don't, I'm not willing mm-hmm. to, you know, who are also resisting that as well, but want to, but they want to, re- they want to resist. What do we, what do we say to those? How, how do we meet well, them? Well, and again, I don't know if there's a one size fits all because, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many different situations that come up. Yeah. But I think if somebody really stays in an assaultive kind of blaming state um, and they don't see any responsibility of their own and they just want to blame or punish or, you know, retaliate or whatever they want to do, act out. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to say, um, you know, I'm, this isn't okay with me. And mm-hmm. I'm totally willing to talk with you when you're willing to, like, also be a participant and listen to me the way you want me to hear you. And mm-hmm. then I'm taking a time out. You know, if it's a boss, it's a different story. You know, sometimes people don't have, and this is part of what, People, I, a lot of people suffer from, because I've had a lot of clients over the years who suffered in their workplace mm. from people who were very dysfunctional and emotionally abusive in the workplace and, you know, had power trips and did whatever they did. Um, and and in, the, in those cases, I think you have to, like, be very um, judicious about how you address it. Mm-hmm. You might have to go to HR. You might have to find a way to have, you know, a supervisor in, intervene, you may not get help. I've, I've had a lot of people who there's just nowhere to go. Mm. Um, and I think that 
Um, you know, and again, this does not apply to all people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can get another job, leave. Because, you know, because often people don't feel like they have any other choice. They don't feel like they, have, they can't leave a relationship. They can't leave a job. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people really don't have a choice or they right. don't know that they have a choice because they can't lose that income. Mm-hmm. And that's a very terrible thing. And I don't have an answer for it. Um, except, you know, and there is no good answer. If someone mm-hmm. is treating you and you are dependent on them and you can't leave, it's, you know, it's a continually traumatic experience. It just is. Yeah. Um, the, I would just say get your own help. Find support outside. Find, you know, talk to other people that care. Um, and just strengthen your own inner boundary to, like, not take on their toxicity. Mm-hmm. But that's a last resort, you know. Um, and it, and it's for, like I said, for many people, it's the only resort. But um, if you can leave, if you can find a way to leave, if you can get up the courage to leave, and you've tried everything before that, um, then do. I had a client in a group um, years and years ago when I was in my very first job working in an agency. We ran a group for um, adult survivors of incest, and it was mostly, I think it was all mm-hmm. women. And there was a woman who was in a, in a bad relationship, and she said, I just can't see myself leaving. I, I, don't, I can't. I can't mm-hmm. leave. And six months later, she left because she did that healing work. Mm-hmm. And so not to underestimate the power of doing some healing work and getting support and, and it possibly opening up choices. But I would just say it is really one of the tragic things in America today that so many people work in environments where they're not valued and they're not treated well. And there's where, as a society, we have to take some responsibility to change this. Mm. Oh, I, I really appreciate our conversation and just how we we there's a lot of information flowing out in this episode and I, and I love it, you know, to be able to speak with someone who is, has been in this field for as long as you have and has their own personal story and insight, wisdom, knowledge, advice, all of that to be able to give to our listeners and the generations to come and those who are, who are willing and open and ready to listen and learn and grow and heal like the word heal, you guys, it's not hoodoo voodoo. It's not spiritual work. Yes. It's, it's, it's not a one size fits all. It's, it's so many different ways and so many right. forms and services that are out there to help you heal and grow and release and let go and love yourself again. Um, Phyllis, is there any other like resources or information and words of encouragement for those listening? Um, yeah, I mean, well, I guess what I want to say is whoever is listening out there, if any of this resonates with you, find, you know, someone to talk to if you, if you don't have one, someone, um, know that you're worthy, know that the worst thing that ever happened to you is not who you are. And I would say that to clients all the time, um, because so many people have identified with the abuse that they've suffered or the neglect that they've suffered and they just really feel like they're a less than human being. No one is a less than human being. And not only is no one a less than a human being, but we all have some kind of gift. We all have mm-hmm. some kind of strength. We all have something um, to share that's worthwhile with other human beings if we're free and safe to develop and um, express that. So, you know, don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Don't be afraid to let your pain show. Um, it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of failure. It's a sign that you're a human being. Mm-hmm. Oh, Phyllis, thank you so much for talking with me and being open and available and willing to have this conversation with us. I, it means so much to me, and I'm sure it'll mean a, so much more to a lot of those who are listening and resonate. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, um, again, I would hope to talk to you again soon. I I loved our conversation. Um, We'll talk more about, you know, the future books that you're also going to release as well. I'm excited to link all that stuff in the bio so that everybody can have access to it. Um, So if you guys are listening, go to the episode details. It's down there. (laughs) 
Is it okay for me to just share where people can find me? Of course, um, please do yeah, so. Yeah, please. Uh, I would love to connect with anyone who wants to connect. Um, I have a website, which is my name, www.phyllislevitt.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm, I have lots of videos on YouTube. I have lots of you, you know, other interviews on my website. Mm -hmm. um, just please feel free to connect with me. My book, America and Therapy, is being published by Morgan and James, and it's available at any place where you buy books. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and I just want to thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share because I'm passionate about what I'm saying. You know, I want our country to heal. I want people to feel safe. I want people to be able to be their best selves mm -hmm. and to be loved and appreciated for who they are. And that's why we connected. And that's why we were able to get yeah. on this episode together, because I, I definitely felt the same about you when I found you um, on Podmatch, which is great. I just yeah. started that soon. So oh, I, I'm absolutely glad to have met you through there. It's very insightful site. So I appreciate you for reaching out and getting this, you know, initiating. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. And um, thank you for your great questions, for sharing your experience, um, and for being so insightful about all these issues, because you have a lot to share that's of great value, and I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, and you have a wonderful rest of your weekend, and enjoy the Sunday that we have left. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.